Scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. And it reads, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Brother Scott. Thank you, Don. Good morning. Good to be together this morning. It's the Lord's Day. It's always a blessing. I think this lesson will be fitting throughout this whole month. We want to raise our children with hope. We want to have, to have strong faith. And I think this is a lesson we want to consider about our own families, about ourselves as parents, those who are Bible class teachers, to think deeply about this. I, I do want you to know this morning that this is not a, a challenge uh, against any of our Bible teachers or anybody else like that, so I don't want you to think it in that way. But I do want to think more about our children and where they're going, uh, where they are, are coming from and our homes and what the church is doing. Because I am very much seeing a, I see a problem among a number of congregations, and we're going to look at that in a moment. This message this morning is to challenge you and to challenge this church to encourage and anchor hope in our children. And I'm going to tell you why I'm bringing this up this morning in a moment. This is why. Question right here. Why do so many children leave the church? We see it happen. In some churches, they might lose very few. Some congregations lose a lot. And it makes you wonder, what's the difference there? What is the thinking? And I hear a lot of people simply mark it up and say, well, it's mostly the parents. But you know, even if it is the parents... There's got to be a little bit more to it. One of the reasons I say that is I grew up in a congregation in Montgomery, Alabama, and I know that the youth there grew to about 60, the, the youth group, the teenagers, the adolescents. Half of them, their parents did not come to that church, but they came there. They wanted to hear the truth. They wanted to hear the gospel. And the majority of them have gone on and have been faithful to Christ and in the church. And when I look at congregations like that, I, I think about that. I know some of these things are out of our hands. Sometimes it is up to the individual and to the child and what they learn and what they do with the gospel. I know that there are worldly influences. I know there are other factors that are involved. But still, I think the church and as parents and uh, Bible school teachers and whoever you might be in, in talking to children, we need to be asking ourselves this question. I'm going to ask you a tough question right now. Think about the children in this congregation over the last 10 years who've grown up, who've graduated from high school and gone on from here. How many of them do you know that are faithful? Think about that. And so this morning as I was thinking over this, it, it well, it wasn't just this morning, but this whole week, I thought this is a very important subject. And in May, I often focus my lessons on the family and our concern for our children how we're raising them. And I want to be sure with my kids, and I love them so much, I don't want to leave anything out. And I know that as a congregation, we don't want to do that either. We want our children to have a solid foundation, to have an anchor of hope. 
So we do see this threat here, and I get kind of an indication here about the nature of how things are. We bring children in, we teach them, and they are receptive to Christ, and they will learn, and they will accept the truth of the Scriptures. But as the, the Bible warns us about, they can also be tossed to and fro. And the Bible warns us, do not be like children, but be mature. Don't be tossed to and fro by different doctrines. And Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 13 and 14, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And you see that today. You could turn on your TV and you see the cunningness, the craftiness of deceitful schemes to tell our children, to tell the next generation that you can come up with your own morals and you can use whatever you think, your morals you come up with, your self-centered ideas, and then turn around and judge the church, other people, God's Word and God Himself. And you hear that. When I hear that, that's what really stands out to me. One of the other reasons this came to my mind is I was studying throughout this week. Another preacher had put up on, on Facebook, he asked the question, he says, why is it that the statistics are showing that millennials, those before the generation before 1980 and 2000, about 75% of them are leaving the church? I don't know where his stat came from, but he had printed out, put it out there. And that it apparently had been so that so many have been leaving. And there are some things that we can do to, to help that. And I've often heard about Christian colleges, that about 95% in the church who go off to a Christian college will stay faithful for the rest of their life. So we think about that. What are those colleges offering? What are the schools offering? What can we do for those who go off to state school? How did that, we might ask those in this congregation who remain strong in that context, what was the teaching there? Uh, what was the idea? What was the mentality that, that held them true? But as we look right here, there can be something that is lacking in our knowledge that, that we need to have. We want our children to grow up and be mature in their faith. And that's going to take parents. It's going to take fathers and mothers talking to their kids about why they believe and how they believe, about their hope of everlasting life, it's going to take them talking about their love for Christ and the, how the gospel has changed them. We need to be asking these questions. We need to be thinking, are we doing everything that we can do uh, for our kids, for our children that we love so much? And often we teach our kids and they will believe. And a lot of times those who go off and they go through high school and they go off and they get challenged, challenged by different ideologies, different thinkings, things I would call cunning and deceit even, and they're carried away because one way to put it is they don't have their own faith. They've been living off their parents' faith. They've been going to church every Sunday because their parents went to church every Sunday. I think these are things to think about. We need to admire our children, and the Bible says over and over again how important it is, our, our children. And Christ emphasizes, probably says the most of anybody, about the importance of children. Number one, he talks about how the angels of children stand before God in heaven, God the Father. And he gives a warning that you do not despise children or look down upon them, but that we value them, we admire them, and that we look to them, even for qualities that are in them. And some of those qualities here, number two, is, is that their humility and that children have humility and they have God's grace and blessing to hear the word of Christ and how well they can receive it and believe it 
And we need to thank God as they do have that foundation, as they are being taught uh, here in this congregation. Number three, children praised Christ in the temple. When Christ went through and he cleansed the temple, multitudes of people came to him while he was in the temple. He began healing them. And the Pharisees and the leaders were standing around seeing him do this. And as he was healing those who were sick, the children were crying out, Hosanna, son of God. And they said to Jesus, why do you let the children say that? And he said to them, he quoted scripture to them, the children will cry out. They will praise him. You read that there in Matthew 21. We have reasons to admire our children. I'm going to give you four kind of points right here, things to think about this morning. When I see those who are leaving the church and their children are growing up, a lot of it has to do with holiness. That is a pure way of living. They go off to college, they watch movies, listen to music, they have friends that affect them. The world around them is able to creep in. There's something that we are not teaching them about maintaining purity and holiness at home and when you leave the home and when you go on for the rest of your life. We want holiness in our homes. One of the passages that comes to my mind about this is in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 14. Often misunderstood scripture, but listen to it here. Paul says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. That does not mean that the unbelieving person is saved because of their spouse. It is saying that there is a holy influence in the home. First Peter chapter 3, 1 through 6 talks about how women are an influence upon their unbelieving husbands by the way that they behave and how they are a light and example to them. And I think we see right here the influence of having a parent in the home who is there, who has not left that setting and has remained in that marriage as Paul is encouraging them right here not to separate and how that's a blessing in the home. He's telling the believers, don't separate from the unbeliever. And then he says this, otherwise your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. There's a holy influence there. There's an influence of the gospel and God. And so we want our families and our marriages to be strong. We want them to be united. We want our homes to be holy. We want that influence from parents to be there, constantly teaching our children what it is to be pure and to live a pure life. I'm going to comment a little bit further on this. One of the other things that stands out to me is Paul's instruction to fathers. What is the one thing that Paul instructed fathers not to do? Well, here's Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Some translations say wrath. I think that's more uh, the idea there. Don't provoke them. Don't stir them up in bitterness and anger and hate at the world around them giving them some kind of mentality that they're always victims and that everybody is against them and that there's somebody to hate and to look down upon with a form of prejudice. He says, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Teach them the gospel. Teach them the truth. That's what fathers have been given to do, instruction. And as fathers, we need to be asking ourselves, am I teaching my children? Am I doing that? Am I bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord? Am I simply just bringing them to church and say, well, you go to class and they'll teach you? We have a part in it. We need to teach. The reason I know that this stirring up to wrath and anger right here is this kind of anger that's passed on. It's also in Colossians 3 and verse 21. It uses a different Greek word here. And it says, fathers, do not provoke your children. And I put in brackets right here to resentment because the Greek word means do not embitter your children. Do not make them resentful of those and others around them lest they be discouraged. I remember Jim. Jim would get up here and he would preach and he would say, 
you know, uh, he would describe Sundays, how people would eat fried chicken and then they would fry the preacher. You know, I remember him talking about that. Our children don't need to be hearing us frying the eldership or the deacons or anybody in the congregation or putting them down. You know what? This applies to the home a little bit further. Fathers, this means on the most basic level that you do not need to be embittering your children against their mother ever. Stir up wrath in that area. So when I think about this, I, I, I start realizing, you know, this is a big thing. This is a, I'm glad, I'm, thank God, we have this instruction here. Two different forms in Ephesians and Colossians telling fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't stir them to wrath. Don't make them bitter. That will have a huge influence on them. What we need to do this is this. Fathers need to give their children instruction. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 not to cast our pearls before swine, right? Before dogs and swine. It's a sad thing, though, when we don't evangelize our own children, are we not kind of treating them like that? When we're not teaching them, we're not giving them instruction, when we're not teaching them the truth, we don't want to treat them that way. I know that every parent in here loves their children. We need to think about this more. Evangelize your children and proclaim to them the gospel. Teach them the truth. Listen to what Christ said in Matthew 12 and verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And that includes our own children. We want our children to obey the gospel. But it's a shame when parents do not know the gospel or cannot teach the gospel to their own children. And if you can't teach it to your own children, who can you teach it to? How can you vocalize what the gospel is? One thing that I've noticed some is that we will have children that have come through congregations, not just Dean Road, other congregations, and they're taught and they will leave the church and go out and they will stop going to church. They live according to the world. But when you talk to them, they'll say, yes, I still believe in Jesus. And yes, I think there is only one church and I'm loyal to the church of Christ. Well, what did we miss right there? Yes, they know about the church and they know that it should have elders and they know the kind of worship it should have and how Christ structured it, but it hasn't made them faithful. I wonder why. And that's the question that's been going through my mind this week as I've been reading through these scriptures. For me, I think back at what took hold of me. I became a Christian when I was 11. I was baptized. But I was 16 years old when the gospel really grabbed hold of me. I had one minister, he would teach the gospel. He said, the gospel that saves you is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Everything starts from there. That's the gospel that started the church. That's the gospel that was preached in Acts chapter 2 that started and established the church. That's the gospel that Paul preached as he went throughout the world when people first heard it for the first time. He says, this is of first importance. This is what saves you, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And when I was taught that, and I heard it, I had heard the stories of Christ, and I knew about the church, but that message is what will grab hold of us. It will compel us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and following, that one who has died for us compels us that we love him and that we're willing to die in the hope of eternal life. So this morning, as I look at this, I look at our teenagers, our kids, and I want them to have a holy way of living. I want them to have holiness. I think that's a huge thing we need to be thinking about. Secondly, we need to be teaching them the gospel in a way that is grabbing hold of them and it won't let them go and they'll never forget it and it drives them to live that right life. 
There's another factor I see that children have lost a hold of, and that is hope. Hope. And now I mean hope. Most of the time you read the word hope in the Scriptures, you're looking at the hope of eternal life. Of one day when Christ comes back and the clouds are rolled back and you hear the call of the archangel, that the Scriptures say the dead will rise and they will be caught up to Him. And I've heard that children often don't like the idea of heaven as it's been described to them. And I think this is something we should think about as far as our hope. And some children think, I, I want to live here. I want to live in this life. And sometimes when I hear about heaven, I don't know if I want to go there. And I'm wondering, what do you know about it? What do you know about heaven? What do you know about uh, the new heaven and new earth that Peter says we look forward to where righteousness dwells? 2 Peter 3 and verse 13. What do you know about eternal life? Where, where is your hope there? And I want to make sure that our children have hope. Because it's from that hope they're going to have a holy life. They're going to live a pure life. Listen to what John says here in 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. We're going to be like Christ when He comes. Because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. And I think this doesn't just apply to our children, it applies to us. If I'm struggling with a sin in my life, and there's something that I'm practicing, whether it's the sin of my tongue, or what I'm looking at on TV, on the internet, or whatever it might be that's in my heart, pride, ego, ego whatever it may be, I want to go back and find out where my faith is coming from, where my hope is, and that hope should be compelling me to purify myself. And that's what we read here in verse 3. Everyone who thus hopes in himself purifies himself as he is pure. We want to be holy. And this is not the only passage here. Uh, I have a whole other lesson that we'll do another time on the importance of hope in eternal life and how that motivation right there will help you live a pure and holy life. Our children need that hope of eternal life. And as children, we need to be able to talk to them about that, about that gospel that holds on the death, burial, and resurrection. Can we tie that into eternal life? Do they see how important it is that when Christ rose, he was the first fruits of what we were gonna what we're gonna get? First Corinthians chapter 15. He's the beginning of it. He's the one who rose from the dead. And that hope of eternal life comes through the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ, and it's going to come to us. So we need to study that. We need to read 1 Corinthians 15. We need to read Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 and know those passages forward and backwards and anything we can get our hands on that talks about the hope of eternal life. We need hope. It is the anchor of the soul. Number one, holy living again comes from hope of the resurrection, that final day when we will rise up. Number two, holiness includes holy living that comes from the hope and respect of one's body. I want our children to respect their bodies, to treat them right. Paul makes that case in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Your body is meant for the Lord. It's meant to serve Him. And you are to maintain it and to keep it holy, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 15, because you do so in the hope of one day rising again. Number three, we need hope because it gives us the ability to proclaim Christ and to do so in a mature fashion. This is what I mean right here. Hebrews chapter 6, 18 and 20. He who has fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before him. 
We have this, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. What is the anchor of the soul? A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It's talking about Jesus entering into the presence of God in heaven, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's a lot more to that passage, but I think you see the hope, the anchor of the soul right there. And I want my children to have that anchor. Because of the hope of eternal life, the Bible tells us this helps us to remain steadfast, immovable, and doing great works. And I thank God that we can read of these things in the Scriptures. We need to use them, encourage one another. Paul concluded the climax of 1 Corinthians, which is chapter 15, about the hope of the resurrection. And this is the very last verse. He says, Therefore, because there's going to be a resurrection, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Not just for my kids. I want this for myself. I want that hope that I have an expectation in the future that nobody can take away. It is only in Jesus Christ. That's what we should want for our children. This morning, we have many reasons to admire our children. The Bible tells us about the blessings of serving them. Number four, anyone who gives a cup of water to a little one as a disciple, will be blessed. Number five, Christ instructed not to hinder little children from coming to him. We want to teach them. We want them to have that solid faith. Number six, those who receive children, they receive Christ. That's what the Bible says. As you receive children, you receive Christ. We need to do that. Number seven, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the children. Their innocence, their purity, their humility, we need to admire them and love them and teach them and pray that they will not go astray. Must the church evangelize their children? I'm not just saying parents right here. I'm talking about the whole congregation, the whole church, our children, those that we teach, those that are around us. And this congregation has been blessed with a lot of them. So I challenge you this morning to do that, to evangelize. Encourage and anchor the soul by hope. And we need it ourselves and we need it in our children. This morning, here's the truth. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. There's no other name by which you can be saved. This morning, if you are not a Christian, if you doubt your salvation, you need to hear the gospel. It's the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. The only way you can be saved. Christ is the one who rose from the dead and there's nobody else, nobody who is received eternal life like he has. And it's only through his resurrection we've got to follow his example. The Bible says we are born again through the resurrection, 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, and that we are saved by baptism through the resurrection, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. That's where our hope is. Romans 6, Colossians 2 connects the death, burial, and resurrection. This morning, if you believe and you confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, you can be saved. Romans chapter 10. Romans 6 says you need to die to your sins, be buried with Christ in baptism, to rise up in the newness of life with the expectation and hope of eternal life that only comes from Christ. That is the power of God for salvation. This morning, if you don't know that power, obey the gospel. If you've drifted away, come back. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. We encourage you right now. Please come while we stand and while we sing.